0: Shalom! Thank you for tuning in to Grace Assembly's weekend sermon. We are on the sermon series, Exodus 2, Settling into the New Normal. Be blessed as you hear God's Word.
1: Shalom to the church on site and the church online. Uh, Actually, I realized that because of the long weekend, some of you are away and uh, I trust that you are watching online but I want you to know that your favourite seats have been taken by others already <clears throat> since your absence today. Okay, today we are on the 28th Sermon on the book of Exodus, but the 12th on, the, on Series 2. So how many of you are also happy that we are taking a break after this? We are exiting Exodus. Finally, finally. But next week we will start a, a mini-series, a new series, family, and sexuality. And that will be very, very uh, interesting and powerful. Okay, so we are now at the last sermon. So the story so far, let me just give you a a quick overview. From From the beginning of time, in time, from time immemorial, Yahweh God always in his heart wanted his divine and his human family to work together, what? To bring about the Edenic vision. Okay, so that started at the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1, with the creation of Adam and Eve. But when they fell, God then uh, restarted his agenda with the family of Noah. That's Genesis 6. But by Genesis 11, the people were, you know, they banded together and they were trying to become God and try to reach out to God with their uh, building of their own ziggurat that God disinherited the 17 nations and Genesis 12, God restarted again with the calling of Abraham. Okay, so what has it got to do with today? Where we are in the chapter 14. Israel, their deliverance from Egypt, right, and the moving in to become the nation of God is the fulfillment of the covenant that God promised Abraham. From Abraham to Abraham. What was the covenant promise about? It was the promise of blessings. It was the promise of a nation. It was the promise of uh, descendants. And it was the promise of land. And so Israel now is at the place, position and place to enter into that promised land. But not yet. I don't know if you have realised that when we close the book of Exodus, chapter 40, they haven't started their journey yet. Do you know that? They haven't started yet. It was only one year. So they really haven't started on their sojourn of 40 years. And they didn't know that it would be 40 years. But before she could embark on her journey proper, she needed to ensure this, that the new center, which is called the tabernacle, would be ready to house Yahweh's presence. So there were three things, three aspects of the tabernacle that we we talked about. In Sermon 10, we said that the tabernacle is the house of Yahweh. And we saw how Yahweh commended the people for their generosity and the use of their abilities as the spirit anointed and separated, uh, you know, craftsmanship, the, the fine craftsmanship and the detailing. So that was Sermon 10. In Sermon 11, we saw that the tabernacle was also called the sanctuary. Sanctuary meaning sacred space. And so from that, we realized that God had, had designed the tabernacle to show the sacred space, and there there were gradations of holiness. You know, there was the Holy of Holies, then there was the holy place, and there was the outer court surrounded by the fence. Okay? So that was about the sanctuary. Today, our last sermon is a new center residing. Big idea is this, Yahweh is to be the center of all our life. Let me give you a visual of how the tabernacle was placed in relation to the tribes of Israel. Can you show that picture? Yep. You know, the small thing in the middle is not a coffin, there's a tabernacle, uh, in case you But you see, they are, uh, it is circumscribed by the Levites, Moses and, and the priests, and then the 12 tribes will surround. That's the formation. So when you see this, what do you see? Where is the tabernacle? So literally, it is at the center of all of Israel's activity and life. And we need to learn that it is important for us that God be the center Of all of our lives. Okay, so in this last sermon, we will learn the importance of this—that the tabernacle is also God's dwelling place. And three things must happen before it could become God's dwelling place. And one thing that we will learn today that will follow after the fact that God has uh, that the tabernacle is now God's dwelling place. The first three things are these: the tabernacle must be set up, the priesthood must be set apart. God's glory must set in and finally, after all that is done, God's people will be ready to set out. Okay, did you get all that? Let's try it out. Okay, the first one, very simple. The first one, before it could function, this tabernacle could function as the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle must be set up. Okay, those of you following, type in the chat. Okay, just up. Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 40, verse 1, 2, and 33. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Verse 33, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. So the tabernacle was not set up haphazardly in a haphazard fashion. Okay, things were done in a particular manner. First, it was set up on a designated day, on a special day. What day was it? As you read in verse 2, it was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. Right, that means God started a new time, a new time, a new season, a new era for Israel. When? Just 14 days before they had their first Passover. They were still in Egypt. And God said, Today is the first day of the new year. 14 days from now, you take the Passover. Okay? And then remember the exit from the Exodus from Egypt. From there to Mount Sinai was maybe two to three months. And they've been at Mount Sinai, came there for nine to ten months you know, for the construction of this tabernacle. And so, only on a certain day, when the day arrived, that God said, on this day and no other day. But on this day, the first day of the first month of your second year, you will set up the tabernacle. Now everything was ready up to that point. So not only was it a certain day, but it was it must be done by a designated person. And who was that? It was Moses. Everybody did everything right. All the raw material fashioned and shaped, exactly what they wanted, following the blueprint. But Moses had the privilege of setting it up on that one day. Right? That person was Moses. But when he, what is of interest is when you see how he, was, he set it up, and you read, there's a, there's a progression you know, of the assembling. He started with the Ark in the Holy of Holies. Right? Ark set, and then the curtain, the screen placed on the door to the Holy of Holies. So that from that point, nobody could peer, no human being could peer into the Holy of Holies and see the Ark. Otherwise, you would die. Okay, so that was done. And then placed the showbread, the altar of incense, and the menorah. That done, at the gate, right at, at the door to that holy place, the screen was done. Okay, curtain. Nobody can enter anymore. And after that, the altar court with the basin for washing and the altar for sacrifice. And after that was done with the, with the fencing, that eastern gate was also shut. So from that moment, that space became God's sacred space and it was off limits, you know. No more free or auto-roaming allowed. You can't just go as you like. Now, this human construct has become God's dwelling place. The tabernacle must be set up exactly. So what does it mean for us? You know, we, we are today God's living tabernacle, right? And it must, it must happen in a certain way by a certain person. And we can now have the privilege of God's dwelling presence because of what? Because of something that was completed by a certain person at a certain time. And that person is Christ Jesus. The completion for us to now have God dwell with us and we with God is because of Christ and Christ alone. Galatians 4, 4, 5 says, but when the fullness of time, you see, not any time, but when the fullness of time had come, what does that mean? That means all of human history was like the raw material up to this point at the unveiling and revealing of Christ. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so it was at an appointed time when Jesus was at the cross and when he uttered, it is finished, you know. Exactly as what Moses did. Moses finished the work and he finished the work that God called him. So, so it tells us that not only on that certain day, at the fullness of time, but he was a certain person. Uh, Hebrews three five six 6 tells us who this certain person was. He said, now Moses was faithful in all God's house, okay, as a servant. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And this verse shows us that Christ was the better Moses, that Christ was the better mediator. Christ was the servant in God's house. but uh, Moses was the servant in God's house, but Christ was the son. And it's from that mediation that we today can be the house of God, right? We are his house. So before God can be the center of our lives, your life and my life, we need to accept his providential timing and the chosen one. And his choice for the mediator. That means we must keep trusting in the finished work of Christ and Christ alone. Right? the tabernacle must be set up. Second thing that must happen for the Lord to recite among them, the priesthood must be set apart. Exodus 49 to 16. So type in the chat apart. Okay, the first one was set up, the second one was what? Set a part. Are you following me? Okay, eh? verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water." And put on Aaron, the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also, and put coats on them, and anoint them, and as you, as you anointed your, their father, that they may also serve me as priest. And the anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. See, once the, the, uh, the parameters of sacred space was established and the tabernacle was set up, it was necessary now to consecrate, whether it was the utensils, whether it was uh, the curtains, whatever it was, uh, and especially the people, they were consecrated to serve and worship the Lord. Okay? So, only those who are given, what, the first thing, the privilege of access. You know, and they are called the priests. If you remember Exodus 19, God said, I've chosen you to be my treasured possession, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation, right? But somewhere along the way, something happened. Now we realize it's only Aaron and his family, the Levites. Perhaps it was because of the golden calf incident. When, you know, the golden calf was made and and, uh, Moses issued a call. He said, those who are on on the Lord's side, come over to me. And who came over? The Levites. And so instead of having every body serving, uh, being able to serve God, given access, it's only the Levites now who are given access to serve and worship God. You know? And not every Levite at every time. Because there were, uh, remember the gradations of holiness? In the Holy of Holies, it was only the high priest. You know, among all the Levites, only the high priest and only once a year. What does that mean about God's holiness? The holier the space, the more stringent the safe distancing measures, uh. and the more limited the access. You know, God is still showing them. Yes, you know, among all the Israel Israelites, I chose Levites. From the Levites, only the high priest can do it once a year. So there there was this this uh, explanation that God, you know, to come to God, he is holy. And so God has made a way for us to approach him at different levels. So the privilege of access was given to the Levites. And how were they given this permission to access? What was it? What made them different? What set them apart? Was it because some of them uh, were were gifted in butchery? Or was it because, you know, they were skilled in barbecuing? Uh, Or, you know, they had very impressive CV. What was it that made the Levites... uh, authorize the Levites to serve. It was simply this, the anointing oil. Just the smearing of the oil, they could enter and serve God without being what? Decimated, you know, without being killed. And so the, the Bible tells us that there was this anointing oil which is made up of five ingredients uh, and specially concorded in a way that you can never use this for anything else but for consecrating of the people and the things of God. You, it's not for common use, you know. But once you have this anointing oil, then that person could come into Yahweh's sacred space to serve Him and to worship Him. Okay, so that's important. So what's, what does it mean for us? How are we similarly consecrated to serve God? Yes, we have Jesus in the heart, but we serve a holy God. How, how is it that we have access to God? It is the same Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who qualifies us. Jesus said in Luke 4:18, He's now. Quoting from Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so incidentally, this term, Messiah in Hebrew, and Christ in Greek means anointed. So Jesus is the super supreme example of someone who is the anointed. Who is like the anointed. And he was anointed how? By the Spirit of the Lord. In the Old Testament, oil is a very common symbol For the Holy Spirit. And so like Jesus, we are also uh, qualified by the Holy Spirit. Let's read 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we are able to serve God today, you and I, not because of our ability. It's not even because of our integrity, although that is good. It's not by any of our merits, actually. It's only by the anointing and the approval given by the Spirit of God. Right? And incidentally, he's not just any spirit, he is the Holy Spirit. Why is this Holy Spirit? Huh? Because we just say Holy Spirit all the time, right? God the Father, God the Son, and then we must say Holy Spirit. Why not just spirit? And this is important: He is not any Spirit, He is the Holy Spirit. Two persons that you need to know. Nadab and Abihu. Who? <laughs> Some people pronounce Ab- Abihu. You know, Abihu. They were the two sons, the two uh, older sons of Aaron. And they accompanied the father with the 70 elders right up to the midpoint of Mount Sinai. And they saw the glory of God. They saw the feet of Yahweh. And they saw God. They heard the voice of God. And, and these two had the privilege and, uh, to even dine in the presence of God. They ate and drank in the presence of God. So they were people who knew God. But something happened on the day when they were consecrated. The Bible said, they, Nadab and Abihu, offered strange fire, unauthorized incense. That Somehow this unauthorized incense incensed the Lord. And fire, fire from the Lord's presence Came down and consumed them. They were literally fired on their first day of, on the job. <laughs> wow, you know, everybody was shocked because it was supposed to be a happy day, right? Launching of the tabernacle as God's dwelling place. They dropped it, they were consumed by the holiness. Of God, It tells us something, that God's holiness is not, it's not something to be trifled with, you know. God's holiness is not something that we can treat in a trite manner. He's a holy God. But you say, Pastor, that's Old Testament, right? Old Testament God is always like that, psh, psh, you know, left and right people fall off. But remember Acts 5, in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They, were pro- they probably expired, you know, and died on the spot, because the Bible said they lied to the Holy Spirit. So, so the reason you and I can serve God is not because of anything else, but because God has granted us access, the privilege of access, and the permission to serve Him. Amen? Okay, so we don't glibly come in and come out, you know, God's presence, oh, you know, anytime, anyhow. No, 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 no. God is a holy God. And so we must allow this Holy Spirit to keep us in check so that we we will not profane the sacred space that God occupies by His Holy Spirit in us. Okay, Only we are able to serve and worship Him only because He endorses and He approves and He validates our service and our worship. Paul says it this way, you know, be careful not to quench the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When I was a young Christian, not so long after I received Christ, uh, you know, one day I did something the same, you know, I said something the same, and then I felt a check in the Spirit in, in me. And it was like God was telling me, hey, what you just did wasn't that deception? He said, hey, I've been doing that all my life, you know. Well, you can do that no more. So that was the check of the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm, I'm so glad that, that we have the Holy Spirit in us so that we don't have to go around policing everybody, you know, because that would be wrong. There are universal laws, and we thank God for them that all of us know. We don't have nobody, you know, it's universal. That means we know it's always wrong. But there are some things that are particular to you and to me. Some things may be not right for you, uh, more for you than for me. So some things are wronger for me. Uh, because I am maybe more prone to this, uh, falling into this sin because of, of my history. Maybe I'm more tempted than you. Right? So what, what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit to keep us in check. What is good for you may not be good for me. Apart from the universal laws. Right? The specifics. So we need always to listen. That's the Holy Spirit keeping us in check. Okay, the third, let's move on. So the tabernacle is set up. The priesthood is set apart. What happens? The next thing is very important. The glory of the Lord set in. Exodus 40, 34 to 35. Those online, type in the chat, in. Very simple. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now had these two things not happened, the tabernacle would be what? Would be a very white elephant, you know, covered with camel skins. But it would still be a white elephant. Everything they did and prepared up to this point on that first day of the first month of the second year, it would be nothing. It would be just a structure. But something happened, right? Right? The Bible tells us that with everything set and ready, God manifested His presence by the cloud. So God's manifestation. So where was the cloud before? The cloud was at the top of the Mount Sinai. And so when everything was done, consecration done, everything ready, then this cloud from Mount Sinai visibly descended on the tabernacle. Right? To tell us what? To tell us that Yahweh... His presence, He's not aloof and above, but He wants to be among us. Just how we sang, right, that song, uh, you didn't want heaven without us. And Jesus, you came, you know, to let us know that you're approachable. So He was not aloof, but He was approachable. And the cloud coming on the tent of meeting showed them that. Uh, Now now we see a new word, tent of meeting, to describe the tabernacle. Uh, It's used 12 times in this chapter. What is this tent of meeting? The tent of meeting is the function and the purpose of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a structure, right? What is it for? It is for meeting between God and his people. It's the tent of meeting. So likewise, every church building, every church building, I'm talking about the building, not, not, not the people, huh? every church building is not built to be admired for his architecture, for his architecture. its architecture. It's built for what? For the assembling of God's people before God. Amen? So aren't you glad that you're in grace assembly of God? <laughs> that's the purpose. Otherwise, it's a date building. Otherwise, it's just a shell. But it's for the meeting. So a tent of meeting. So that's the first thing. So the manifestation validated Israel. It was the validation that Israel needed, that Yahweh was indeed among them. But God went further. Not just His manifestation, but God's habitation Right, the cloud descended, but then the glory of the Lord filled every cubic millimeter of the premises. The weightiness of God's presence came. And it was so strong that even Moses, right, the mediator that God chose, could not enter. Could not, he wasn't given permission to enter to serve. And so when we realise that God is in the house, no one, no one moves, you know. No one breathes. No one chatters. Because God is in the house. The weightiness. So from that point onwards, Yahweh was the sole owner and the sole occupier of the premises. The whole tabernacle, right? It had become private property. And all unauthorised intruders uh, will be shot. And like the sign says, Survivors will be shot again, you know, because he is in the house. So sometimes we, we, we come and, and we have, uh, yeah, good human level, but it's a meeting between us and God. And sometimes we need to sense that God is with us. I know we all live for the wow moments, right? When his cloud comes and the manifestation and like the retreat that's coming up, you know, wow, the wow moments. Sometimes we forget the now moments, you know when he's infilling us every day of our lives. But are we aware? We're only aware when we see the miracles, uh, the signs. uh. But we are not aware many times that he is in us all the time. Because what do we learn? When we accept Jesus as our saviour and his spirit fills us, something happens. We have this confirmation that God is with and in us. We always say that, right? Emmanuel, God is with us. But then we must live like he is with us uh. Uh, So let's not just live for the now, for the wow moments when we see something. But the now moments, our everyday God's spirit is still within us, filling us. And that filling means what? It means that we belong to him entirely, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's something more that that we are doing even better than Moses. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, and Paul is comparing Moses to our ministry, right? He said, we all with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord. Moses could not do that because God said, if you see me, you will die. But we are able to behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That means, actually this beholding that we have of the glory of God enables us to be better images. Because somehow we are able to come into God's presence, behold His glory, and that glory changes us to be more and more like Him. Amen? Something that Moses could not do. He could only come to a certain point but no further. But because of Jesus Christ, we can behold the glory of God. And so for God to take center stage in our life, He must be owner and occupier of all that we are and all that we have. He cannot be guest and visitor. He must take up full and permanent residency in us. Because we are not here to entertain Him for a while. Okay, bye. We are here to bear the weight of His glory to the nations who have no access to him, amen. So, three things need to happen before God could, uh, before the tabernacle could be God's dwelling place. The tabernacle must be set up, the priests must be set apart, and the glory of God must set in. Finally, something else must happen as a result of that. The people of Israel could set out. Exodus 40 36 38. So, you're typing in the chat out that's the word. Verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So, after a year of physical and spiritual preparation, Israel was now ready to set out to their promised land. They could not uh, uh, until this point happened, until Yahweh said, this is my tabernacle. This is my dwelling place. And so Yahweh would not be operating uh, uh, from the remote place by remote control on top of Mount Sinai. He said, I will be with you. Watch my cues. When I move, you move. If I stay, you stay. Very simple, right? Very simple. But this gave, gave Israel a needed boost of confidence. How? Because from now, because of the cloud that's always with them, this, aco- this cloud will accompany them. And this cloud was the same God who delivered her from the clutches of Pharaoh and the gods, Egyptian gods with mighty acts of power, signs and wonder. Remember the ten plagues. And this was the same God who led them to places of rest and abundance at Elim. Fed and provided miraculously for her in the desert with the manna. Fought for and defeated her enemies on her behalf at Rephidim, brought her to himself as his treasured possession, priests and people, covenanted with her as his new family with new requirements for their new relationship. And this God would strike fear to the inhabitants of the land, wherever and wherever, where, whenever and wherever they saw the cloud by day and the fire by night. So even from afar, when, when, when the inhabitants saw that, they knew who was coming. And so what what can we learn after 40 chapters? That their journey was only beginning. I mean, they would be happy, right? Everything was provided for them in the wilderness. The tabernacle was there. They thought, hey, we are set for life, you know, just now we have God's presence with us. But no, that that was not the purpose. They were not to be there just to enjoy the blessings of God. They were to be there to be ready to become a blessing to the nations. Right to go to their promised land. And so for us, it's the same. We too have received something. It's called the Great Commission. So the, the question is, ready? Are we ready? Are we set to go as they are? You see, we must not, uh, as God's treasured possession, we must not live any longer for ourselves. We've been bought with a price and we are instruments for God's sovereign use. And so we need, you and I need to order our lives so that God is in the centre. And so the way he leads, we follow. And some of us lead and then we expect him to follow. You know? So that's the wrong order. Because only when he moves, they move. You know? They don't move first and then you know he follows. He is not following, he is leading. And so we have a place to go, let him lead us. We must not drive our sticks so deep into the ground or keep our heads in this glory cloud, right? And then be oblivious to what God wants us to do. The mission is only beginning. We are not yet at our promised land. Sometimes we live like we are at our promised land. We are not. This is not the promised land. This is where the journey is. So we need to keep moving, we need to keep growing, we need to keep loving and we need to keep sharing. As God's living tabernacles, we must live life missionally. As we follow God's leading, we are to carry the sacred space of his presence into the social, physical, cultural spheres around us. We are called to be the gospel wherever we are. And so, church, are you ready? Are you set? Want to go home already, right? <laughs> but we're not home yet. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We're not home yet. Okay, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, the last scriptures. So then you no longer, you are no longer strangers and aliens. All right? Once we were, but you are no longer. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Tabernacle house of God, right? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. See, Christ has already adopted us. He made a way for us to be adopted into his family. The Holy Spirit has come, set us apart to be his royal priesthood, filled us with with his presence and his power to live a life that's pleasing to him. And God the Father has given us the privilege to build his kingdom and to extend that Edenic vision in a non-in a safe and non-threatening way to everyone around us, as long as we live in this world. So are you all set? Set up, set apart. The glory of God set in, ready to set out. But before that, I want to ask a question. Tell me truthfully. Do you know of any eccentric Christians or not? Eccentric. Eccentric means out of the centre, you know. The centre is out. Do you know of any eccentric Christians? The centre is out One. You don't know, ah? Huh? I was once. I was once an eccentric Christian. Like many of you, um, when, when I received Christ, that's like 40 years ago, right? Almost mirroring uh, the journey of Israel. You know, I was so, so grateful for the, for the gift of forgiveness. You know? I was so happy. I was totally, I told God, you know, I, I was willing to serve him every day for the rest of my life. And my constant prayer was this, God, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And every time somebody asked me to do something, right? I will do it with all my heart. You know? I will give my best. Until one day I realized that my zeal for the Lord has overtaken my joy for the Lord. And the busyness that I was, I was, you know, the work that I was doing has pushed God out of the center of my life, you know. And work has become the center of my life. The things I was doing for God had become the center of my life. And how did I detect that? You know, I was getting upset with people because I looked at, I. I judge their commitments. Wow, not up to par, you know. Not like mine. (laughs) Or, I say, wow, their work is shoddy, you know. Not excellent at all. So I was getting upset, angry, you know. In short, you know, it took a short time before I was burnt out. I was burnt out from serving the Lord. And then I realised something that nobody taught us up to that point. That centre. That centre is the place that only God can occupy. From the outside, people saw my service for the Lord might be commendable but inside my worship life was zero. Was zero. How was I able to live this life, this journey? You know, this journey that God has for me until I reached the promised land. How was I able to do that if God was not in the center? So that's when I learned the value of worship as much as of service and to treasure the time that i have with the lord every day but it was partly because of necessity because i had to hear from god daily to ensure that he is occupying that center space in my life i need to take a bearing every day if i didn't do that in a week's time i would have seen i would i would have deviated already from where god was where, where his center was and i need to ask him to check me so checking daily to ensure that he was at the centre of my life became mission critical for me. So yes, as long as we are here, we must be operationally ready and agile for there are tons of things we must do while we are here in this world. But as Israel learned, the tabernacle must be set up before Israel could set out. So I changed my question. No more was I praying, Lord, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Then I said, Lord, okay, you are the boss. What do you want me to do for you? And when I asked that, the centre changed. It wasn't about me. It was about Him telling me where and when. So how was your worship life this morning as we close this time? Do you know if God is at the centre? Or are you like me living eccentrically you don't have to live like that. The journey may be tough and sometimes it's very, very tough. You need to know that God is in the centre of every storm that you go through. He is there. He has not moved. And when you know that, nothing will face you because that's only the external. But you just have to check, are you in the centre? If God is in the centre, nothing else that happens to you will be detrimental to your faith. Amen? Amen? So this time I want to open the altars to two groups of people this morning and the worship team will also lead us in two worship songs or one worship song as we do that. But here's what I want you to do to respond to God's word. Some of you are at a place in your journey and it's a place where you're confused by the chaos around you or you're perplexed by the pain that you're going through. Maybe your cry this morning is "God." Where are you? you know? In the Old Testament, the cloud, of the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, so easy to know that you're in our midst, you're in the centre. But maybe your prayer today is, God, where are you? you know? Have you abandoned me? Where are you? Have you moved? And that's between you and God, you know, right? Right? But I pray that you will come out and be ministered I pray that when you come out and meet with God God will say child I am here I've always been here I've always been here for you not one moment will you out of my sight let God let his arms once again come around you and say child you are safe that's the first group you're saying I don't know where you are second group you know you know all that God has done for you Today the message is challenging you. Is God at the centre of your life? Or something else? You won't last long. you know, trying to live a missional life for the Lord. It would be difficult unless the Lord is in the centre. Unless the tabernacle, the living tabernacle of Christ is really fully in you. So I also want to give an opportunity for those of you who say, God, I want you to be the centre. I want you to come back. Maybe you have not gone, but I want you to be back. I want to surrender every part of my life to your ownership and to your occupation. My Lord, I want to pray this prayer. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I'm ready for you to take center place. Amen.
0: Amen. Jesus said the center of it all at the center of it all from beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus Jesus again, again Jesus Jesus at the center of it all to solve it all You are the center of it all. Let the house of God, stand
1: in the house of God as we sing Jesus the second said, verse. Be the
0: center of
1: it all. Be the center of my life.
0: Jesus, be the center of my life. Take center stage once again. From beginning to the end. It will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus be the center. Let's sing that, Jesus, Jesus be the center. Jesus be the center. Be the center of your church Jesus be the center of your church yes Lord we lift ourselves to you God Jesus be the center of your church rule and reign and every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess you Jesus, Jesus.
1: Altar is open and so you know as, as we continue to sing the second song come forward just come now so that we can pray and minister to you this next song says that God everything we have belongs to you amen so anyone from above, from here just come and receive what the Lord has for you this morning that
0: I am you
1: amen altars are open. You want I to see God? You want to say, God, are you with me?
2: Just
0: come forward. Listen.
1: Hear Him speak to I run you. To yes. to your yeah. side
0: when you call. Amen. There, there is the
1: hope I yeah. am, yeah. Lord. Yeah. Come, come on to the front. You Say, God, just be to the, the
0: center of my life. Be by your life.
2: side. There
0: is oh. hope
2: in my life. There is way to the wow. final.
1: that you want to tabernacle with us. Sinful people like us, oh God, who do not deserve your presence. But we thank you for sending Jesus to break down that wall so that the veil can be torn, that we can fellowship once again. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who consecrates us and makes us worthy even in our unworthiness, makes us worthy worship to love to serve you father you have given us free access and permission to enter into your presence what a privilege oh god so for those my brothers my sisters who are asking where are you lord this morning father i pray that you be especially close to them let them be surprised that you are there let them see let them hear that you have not gone away god but you are in need with them because your word promises so and for the rest of us Lord knowing who you've called us to be and Lord we are not here to just enjoy the blessings of your presence we have we have a task we have a mission we are not yet in our promised land and so Father we pray that we keep this in mind that we are still on this journey and a journey to let others know how great you are how good you are how loving you are, how merciful you are. And so Father, we pray that God, you take that centre stage in our life. That you be the centre of all that we do so that we don't live for ourselves in our own strength but we live for you. Not what I can do for you but what you want to do, want us to do for you today. So Father, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you that you are the Lord of everything. That we can have you in the centre of all And everything that we are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Let's give praise to the God who is at the center.
0: Thank you for tuning in. We hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. Have a blessed day in Jesus.